your cake online. What is up, Cake Nation, and welcome back to the Chemistry Cake Online Podcast, where chatting about chemistry has never been sweeter. Chemistry Cake is online, and do we have a super sweet guest for you today, folks. She received her bachelor's degree at Dickinson College in Chemistry and Environmental Science and recently defended her dissertation in chemistry at Emory University. I actually had the pleasure and privilege of attending her defense remotely, and if I am not mistaken, there were upwards 100 people at this defense, which was crazy. And I was just so blown away by, one, the support of the community, and two, the super cool science I got to learn a little more about. Uh, Folks, would you join me in welcoming today's sweet guest, Dr. Allie Boyington. Allie, thank you so much for chatting with me today. How does it feel now that your defense is over? Oh my gosh, it's still just weird to even be called like Dr. Boynton or anything like that. It's wild. Um, it definitely did not go the way I had envisioned it over the past, you know, whenever, I guess, five years. I always said if I defend, um, not exactly when, and Nate was always just like, why do you keep saying if? Um, I, you, you think that you're going to present and you, you see the room and you know that you're going to present there and that's what you're thinking of. Um, but virtually it was so cool and like I owe so much to you and like the other members of like the the hype train and and cake nation who uh hyped up my defense without you guys like we definitely wouldn't have had the type of virtual turnout and it was so cool it was about a hundred people and some people were sharing screens and things like that so yeah it was so cool to see everyone come together for it so it was phenomenal I was really blown away um and you know there were there was a lot of really cool science during your defense but i think one of the things that i noticed was um your laser pointer and how it matched your earrings yeah and i think that level of coordination speaks volumes to the dedication of the craft please do tell do tell us about that so it actually matches the hot pink in my slides too so um there's kind of this long-standing tradition in our lab where every person kind of has their own color palette for their papers and they kind of carry it over into their slides and um we were trying to pick a color for a figure in my first paper Nate and I were in his office and he was like oh well we can't use red because that looks negative and then he was like what about orange and we had like navy in there too. And I was like, well, we can't do that because those are Broncos colors. And he's a Broncos <laughs> fan and I'm a Patriots fan. Oh no. <laughs> we couldn't do that. And um, I said, what about hot pink? And he tried it and he was like, oh, I kind of like it. And so ever since then, it's kind of stuck and it's been in my slides. And um, people, his friends have come up to my posters at conferences and been like, oh, yours is the pink paper. Because I guess a lot of his friends made fun of him. Um, oh. Which kind of just made me want to use it even more because I'm like, oh, yeah, this is making some people kind of upset and making them talk about it. I don't know what made them upset, but if people feel uh, feel like mine are the it's the pink paper. So, yeah, it kind of just became this thing where I use hot pink and I saw with my spotlight presenter that uh, I could pick the color of the laser. And Mm -hmm. I was like, well, there's no there's even no question here what I'm going to pick. So phenomenal i i think i mean like you're working up a brand i think that's really that's really important i think because um um i i like pastel orange and like lighter browns i think people have associated with me because it reminds them of cake and so Mm -hmm. that is my color palette which is really interesting at least in terms of like 
the podcast, but when I present, it's um, charcoal gray and greens. Um, just fun fact. Uh, although I don't think people would be surprised by that because everything I own is brain green. So. Very earthy. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's really cool that you have a color palette. Um, yeah, definitely uh, work that brand. Like, I will now, whenever I see hot pink in a paper, I'll think of you. Oh, yes. Or I'll be like, ah, oh, Allie. And then I'll be like, ah, oh, she was the one who wrote this. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's so sweet. I was like a total tomboy as a kid and I hated hot pink. And now it's like become a part of this thing. So kind of funny. It's come full circle. That's awesome. Oh, amazing. Okay. So, so then, uh, so now that you've defended, what's, uh, what's the next adventure after this? Yeah, so I um, am headed to Corteva AgriScience in Indianapolis to join their discovery chemistry team. I actually signed my offer back in August, right before ACS. So I've kind of had just ginormous senioritis. I've been fighting off senioritis <laughs> really all year. Um, it was tough. It's it's really, really tough to just have something that early and, and still have. I thought I had a lot of time, um, but the time has really flown this past year. So um, I'm super excited because it kind of combines my um, passion for sustainable food development and kind mm -hmm. of finding ways to feed our growing population sustainably with um, my love for chemistry. So I'm, I never knew that was a possibility. And then um, as I learned more about the company, I got super, super excited. Yeah, that's really cool. And so um, I do want to talk about um, your chemistry. Um, as I understand it, the chemistry that you do involves taking energy from light and converting it to electronic energy in the reaction to try to make new and difficult carbon-carbon bonds. The way that you've described it sounds almost like electrocatalysis. Is that correct? Yeah, it's really similar. Um, it actually gives you a little bit different types of control. So electrocatalysis is really awesome where you can kind of like dial in your potential um, but a problem is, is you could get like over reduction is a problem oh. where that second electron comes in because you just have so much potential. Um, mm -hmm. but by using the catalyst, that's only excited by the light, we can kind of get that single electron transfer where we have that radical formation really selectively. Um, but a lot of people compare, um, electrocatalysis and photochemistry. They're kind of um, always on kind of the same same brainwave and um, I think like my favorite talk that I've ever seen was um, Teshik Yoon kind of debating whether you know they're they're cut of the same cloth or if they're two sides of, of the same coin and and how they can interplay and now people are even kind of um, joining them together there are a couple a couple recent papers in Jack's where where people did photo electrocatalysis <laughs> which is just wild to me um, but but it's so cool Wow, that blows my mind. I think that's really cool. I'd be really interested to, to read more about that just because um, our, an earlier episode, we had uh, Safia Jelani, who, um, if I can uh, just brag a little bit on her behalf, is part of the CAS Leaders Program. And that's really exciting. And uh, she also spoke about electrocatalysis. And that's super cool. And that just is all um, over my head. Uh, I do know that at some point I, I'm going to have to be running cyclic voltammetry um, experiments. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Electrons? You have to make sure 
That's <laughs> like, is, that, is that even the same thing? I don't even know. <laughs> like, it has a potential somewhere. Yeah, the shape of this EV should come out looking like a duck. That's uh yep. That's the gist of it. That's the yep. I was like, ah, and and um, we did like we did a few preliminary, just playing around with the potential stat, um, and we we were trying to obtain duck plots, but uh, we ended up getting. Well, I thought it looks like an airplane, like a really a really sleek jet. <laughs> um, my friend said that it looked like a stylistic leg, and I was like, uh. Sure, I mm -hmm. like a ballerina leg, which is like, huh, yeah. So you know, it's just like we're finding shapes in our plots, like we would in in the clouds. Yeah, um, I make yeah. slugs a lot, where it's just like a line. Did you say slugs? Yeah, <laughs> it's not quite a duck. It's just a slug. It's kind of just a line. <laughs> is that? But are you? Is that something that you you're hoping to get, or were you hoping for ducks? No, I was hoping for a duck, but you know. Ah gotta get a few slugs on your way to that duck <laughs> yeah you know sometimes you gotta get a few stylistic legs uh before we can get ducks but um yeah and and you know all this talk about ducks just reminds me of Kim Kim Jopper that's all I can think of yeah anyway uh okay so uh you are making difficult carbon carbon bonds um for the listeners at home just how difficult are we talking Oh man, so there's a lot of really great ways to make carbon carbon bonds where people, there's the entire field of like cross coupling, which has been enabling and as well as CH functionalization and things like that. But what we're looking to do is kind of eliminate the need for like protecting groups um, so mm -hmm. that you can have like acidic or basic functional groups on your molecule that would typically make other reactions difficult or you would have to protect them or um, install them later. Um, so we want to kind of make really um, functional group tolerant conditions that you can make those carbon-carbon bonds under. So what, so you, you mentioned protecting groups, how are other, what are some ways uh, to make carbon-carbon bonds? Yeah, so cross-coupling, CH functionalization, and then, you know, radical chemistry has really kind of taken off lately. And mm -hmm. I think um, one of the best things I got um, out of this really awesome conference I went to, the Pacific Symposium on Radical Chemistry this past summer, um, one thing that was said a whole bunch, I think, I want to say Phil Barron said it first, where he was like, radicals don't care about your two-electron problems. Um, they don't really care all the time about like acidic functional groups or basic functional groups. Um, sterics aren't always a huge issue. Um, things that where if you can't get a catalyst like into the molecule at the position you want because it's ster it's blocked off by other groups and things like that. Um, whereas radicals really don't seem to have these types of problems. So you kind of get orthogonal reactivity um, to these type of um, metal catalyzed conditions instead oh very cool so i i'm going to assume uh that your science focused mainly on radical formation yeah everything was uh pretty much radical based i started off on on different projects and um, i was actually part of nate's first graduating class um and so when I joined the lab, there weren't any projects working. I joined the lab with zero projects, really zero papers, um, just about four or five of us and a postdoc. And um, 
we kind of all started in different areas and um, the radical chemistry kind of took off. And so we kind of all converged into two different areas and that's where I ended up. Whoa, that's really cool. It is not at all where I thought I was going to be. I uh, <laughs> would have been super intimidated by that going in. Um, but I think I always tell new grad students to not be um, intimidated by not knowing exactly what a group does and not knowing everything about it already. Because um, I, I really had to learn from the ground up and we all did and we, we did it pretty successfully. Oh yeah, I, I definitely resonate with that um, because when I first started, I was actually working with a protein, um, which was, you know, something that I was more familiar with. I was working with a ferritin um, and trying to somehow track the oxidation of iron two to iron three as it was um, entering this ferritin protein uh, by magnetometry. And that was very difficult because, um, the, te the technique itself is very aggressive when it comes to proteins because proteins really don't like being cold. Mm. Um, and this instrument goes all the way down to two Kelvin. So um, I'm, I don't know. I, I don't know that much about proteins, but I, I think it would be safe to say that proteins would not be happy at two Kelvin. Um, <laughs> um, but that's, not what I'm working on now. I'm working um, with polymers and that's so different than the learning curve was so steep. I think the first time I'd ever been introduced to how polymers are synthesized was when I was a senior in college. Um, and I was like, I was like head to tail, tail to tail. What, what, what's going on here? I don't really. Okay, cool. And then it's like spaghetti. Got it. Um, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that's really cool. And so um, the reactions that you do, are they metal cat catalyzed? So some of mine have been. Um, my first uh, kind of foray into photoredox was using an iridium catalyst. Ooh. And um, yeah, it was super cool. Um, there's a bunch of commercially available photoredox catalysts. Um, a lot of people know of like Rubipi is one of them. Mm -hmm. IRPPY3 is another one. Um, and mine was a, a variant of the of the iridium family. And they're great because they're both reducing and oxidizing. But in the next system that I was working on, the substrate that I was working on could be oxidized by the catalyst. So I had to switch to a different catalyst. And the one that ended up working was an organic, um, an organic dye molecule. So it still absorbs light the same way and gets photo excited, but then can go do chemistry. And I was excited about that because um, if you, the less metals that, you know, you can use kind of, kind of the better in most cases. And it's also just way easier to make in the lab. Mm -hmm. We uh, always play the pass off game of who needs to make catalysts and everyone goes, I made it last. No, I made it last. And <laughs> when it's just one step because it's an organic catalyst, it's, it's way easier. So Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, am I allowed to ask what um, organic catalyst you used? Yeah, it was, um, it's called N-phenylphenothiazine. Um, and that sounds really long, but it's not actually that big of a molecule. It's a kind of a network of aromatic rings. And it was developed by um, Craig Hawker and Javier Reed de Alaniz at um, UC Santa Barbara 
for um, polymer chemistry, I think initially, because um, they focus more on the polymer to material side of things. And mm -hmm. they showed that they could form aryl radicals using this organic dye because it's super reducing, but it's also not very oxidizing. So it was kind of perfect for, for my system. It's almost just as reducing in its excited state as the iridium ones are um, after interacting with a, uh, a sacrificial reductant where, where it needs to form its active species. So it, it, we could have less participants in the catalytic cycle, which is kind of nice. It uh, keeps, that, keeps reaction set up kind of simple and also cuts down on potential, potential issues. Interesting. So was your focus trying to make a certain molecule or were you trying to make a library of molecules to see like if this catalyst would work for different systems or what was going on there? Yeah, so kind of the best way I describe it. So I guess the short answer is that I was looking at taking um, either nitrogen heterocycles, so pyridines or pyrazines or um, any of those where and trying to form a radical and getting it to add to an alkene, which is sort of simple sounding and it's very simple looking too, but the problem is alkenes aren't very activated. The ones that I was working with weren't. Um, mm -hmm. so the radicals shouldn't really want to add to something that's neutral. Um, mm -hmm. And so the way I describe it, because my, my parents always ask like, how does this, we saw your paper, but how does this change anything for me? My parents aren't scientists at all really. Um, and eventually the best way I found to describe it was um, when kind of like when a mechanic goes to work on a car, they go to their toolbox and they pick out the right tool to fix the right, the part that they're working on. Um, and kind of the same thing happens when somebody in small molecule development, either a pharmaceutical or an agrochemical goes to build a small molecule. They go to their toolbox of reactions and try and pick out the right tool or reaction to build the molecule. And we kind of develop those tools. So if they don't have the right tool to do the job, they need to develop one. And that's kind of what we do with method development. So it's not really um, trying to make a class, but trying to develop a way that people could make these types of bonds. Oh, so. I see. so then um, what then would be the advantage of adding N heterocycles to alkenes? Yeah, so there's um, a couple ways to do it, but um, pyridines specifically have been a little difficult because when the nitrogen is in the ring, it changes the electronics of the ring. And mm -hmm. so you get um, two activated, I guess three activated positions, the two, four, and six positions are activated, but the three and the five positions remain really difficult because they're mm -hmm. um, more electron rich. And so historically, those three, that three and five position have been really, really hard to um, get to do really anything um, to metal insert into that. That's been really difficult or to do um, addition into because they're electron rich. Um, no, nothing really wants to add into them. And so that was kind of the cool thing with my first um, my first method was that wherever the halogen on the ring was located. So we either have like an iodine or a bromine on mm -hmm. the three or the five position, we can selectively form the radical at that position. Um, so we're able to functionalize positions that are otherwise really difficult to functionalize. That's very cool. 
Yeah. Wow, I'm very mind blown by that. And, and so um, you had mentioned uh, a, a, an application for this is you're developing um, a tool in a, in, in a toolbox to work on developing perhaps pharmaceuticals or um, things for agriculture. Um, could you talk more about like potential applications? Yeah, for sure. Um, so I personally um, haven't had the opportunity to collaborate and develop like a, a library or anything, but um, I think that our reactions kind of offer this um, unique ability where I was saying before, where they're, they're tolerant of a lot of functional groups and um, these pyridines are just super, super common and other nitrogen heterocycles too, but pyridines are the most common nitrogen um, aromatic heterocycle in pharmaceutical drugs. And so these are popping up all the time and it might be easy to make the um, substitution at the two and the four position, but if you can't functionalize the three position any other way, there, it's just not going to happen. And maybe that's, you know, the best drug or whatever. Um, right. And then the other project I was working on was um, my last uh, project is actually using our method um, to form aryl radicals and adding them to vinyl amine derivatives, which gave mm. the um, aryl ethylamine backbone. And that's really cool because that pops up all the time in like native neurotransmitters and a lot of drugs that act on the central nervous system and things like that. And when you can incorporate nitrogen heterocycles into those in ways that hadn't been done before, a lot of the structures that I published were actually novel, even though they were really simple to me. Mm -hmm. But um, hopefully, you know, some people can uh, take those types of molecules now that they're really easy to make and uh, elucidate kind of the biological effects that they have. That's so cool. Wow. Mind is blown. That's very, I, I just, you, you were talking about like, oh, you know, perhaps we can, it'll be much easier to functionalize like the two position, but perhaps not the three. And I was just thinking, wow, like, wouldn't it be so cool to be able to make a library of this pharmacophore that needed to be functionalized at that three position on the heterocycle? Right. Um, and then talking, like, thinking about um, uh, SAR or structure. I'm going to have to look up. Activity. Activity relationship. <laughs> I remember things in pharmacology. Yeah, SAR or structure activity relationship. Um and just thinking about how that would be very useful to drug design. That's super cool. So cool. Wow. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, we are nearing the end of our chat. However, I do have one final question and it is the most important question. Okay. Um, Allie, are you ready? I am ready. You're ready? Yes. Are you sure? Sure. Okay. What is your favorite cake flavor and why? Ooh, okay. Um, so the short answer is red velvet. Um, mm -hmm. I like that it's sort of chocolatey, but not like super chocolatey. And I like, it usually comes with cream cheese frosting. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not a huge frosting fan, but I like cream cheese frosting. The other mm -hmm. answer that I would have, and I'm not really sure, um, maybe other people would qualify it as cake. I qualify it as cake. Um, it's called a whoopie pie. And okay. it's the state dessert of Maine. Which <laughs> from. 
and um, Pennsylvania tries to claim it as theirs, but it, it's not. Um, <laughs> and it's basically like if you took a cupcake, and a lot of people do this when I see them eat cupcakes. If you take the cupcake and you take the bottom half off the cupcake and put it on top of the frosting, so that the frosting's uh-huh. in the middle, that's basically mm-hmm. what a whoopie pie is. So they're awesome. They're basically like when they had Oreo cakesters, it's basically like a bigger mm-hmm. Oreo cakester. And uh, oh they're awesome. And they come in like all normal cake flavors too. So yeah, definitely either red velvet or whoopie pies or red velvet whoopie pies. They have those too. Oh my gracious. Uh, so I'm glad that you um, prefaced it by saying, I don't know if this classifies as a cake because um, sometime in the near future, perhaps this year, perhaps next year, who knows? Who knows? Maybe next season. Um, I am planning on launching not just an episode, folks, but an entire series of what is a cake. And I'm just going to invite a bunch of friends and we're going to have a round table and we're going to be like, okay, is this a cake? Is this a cake? Is this a cake? Like, is banana bread a cake? Mm. Is Boston cream pie a cake? Is cheesecake a cake? Oh, uh, or whoopie pies cake, right? Okay, like because it's called cheesecake, but it has a crust and a filling. Ooh. Therefore, there's like is a it a sandwich cake? debate on Twitter, and this is kind of bordering that. Like, what is a sandwich? Have you seen that? Yeah, I have. I have. <laughs> um, I I do want to shout out um, Alex Goldberg and um, I believe Chem Jobber is also the is the is the uh, debate partner in that and um a whoopie pie is a sandwich, uh, there i think now that i think about it i'm pretty sure a whoopie pie is a sandwich so <laughs> well structurally i would agree but <laughs> if if you're a purist i think kim jobber would disagree with you now i am not going to say what stance i choose on <laughs> what is a sandwich because that could cause a lot of controversy yeah we can't get um, here we can't get political here. No, no, no. Um, but here I am saying, like, what is a cake? And that will cause another uproar. They're like, we don't need another one of these debates cakes. Like, oh, yes, we absolutely do. Because I keep asking people, what's your favorite cake flavor? And they keep answering with pies. And it's like, this is not a cake. <laughs> it's not a cake. And people are like, well, what about, like, coffee cake? And I was like, mm. Ooh. Right, right. So if you would like to be a part of that, debate ali we would happily welcome you and you can you can most certainly um defend the honor of whoopie pies as a cake yes um i am just going to be there to mediate (laughs) so my high school debate experience comes out i'm ready for this (laughs) i'm gonna need to get a gavel okay (laughs) wow (laughs) oh man Allie, this has been a blast. And it really is wonderful hearing your voice again, um, especially like now I get to chat with you because I know at the defense, I was just like like sending messages in the chat saying like, oh my gosh, you're amazing. Hi, 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 hi. I have to admit something. I actually walked past you at ACS San Diego and like I was too shy to say hi. <laughs> we could have made a GIF together. I know. Okay. I was like, oh, I think that's a cake on Twitter. And I was like, oh, I should have said something. So I've been kicking myself ever since. But um, next next time our paths cross, I will be sure to uh, sure to say something now. So yeah. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. It really has been such a sweet time. Um, and to the listeners at home, 
Thank you for joining in the chat today. Uh, we hope you got to learn something new about making very difficult carbon-carbon bonds. And if any of you fancy following the many carbaceous adventures of Dr. Allie Boyington, you can follow her on Twitter at Allie underscore Boyington. And if you would like to hop aboard the hype train, choo-choo, you are welcome to follow me on Twitter at Chemistry Cake and on Instagram at Chemistry Cake Online. All of those will be linked in the description. Folks, this is your gentle reminder to stay hydrated, to keep the hype alive, and to edify our village. Stay safe and uh, maybe phone a friend today. Thanks for tuning in, folks. This is Chemistry Cake, signing off.